Hello and welcome to this, the 17th episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, Angus Ogue McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And what a week it's been. It was uh, great this Sunday evening to go to the Irish Times Theatre Awards. Uh, Obviously, Gavin Costick, our writer on Fight Night, had picked up a nomination for Best New Play. So so we got to all go along, myself and Brian Malarkey, the other half of Rice Productions, uh, got to go there. And obviously, Gavin was there for the nomination and Brian Burroughs, our director, was there on the night as well. And it was a wonderful evening. I'm kind of conflicted on the whole issue of awards nights when it comes to theatre. And that's not to seem ungrateful because obviously things have gone pretty well for us awards-wise and nominations-wise with uh, with Fight Night. Uh, but I guess the important thing about a night like that was uh, the whole of the Irish theatre community coming together for a, for a night to mark the last year and what we've all been through and, and how an awful lot of people are making really exceptional work in exceptional times. And it's, it's a challenge out there. And I know... This week saw a lot of the Arts Council uh, application results coming back to people, and a lot of people have had some pretty devastating news. It's uh, it's hard out there, and and these kind of cuts can't be underestimated uh, for a sector that is so reliant on on state aid, but in fact contributes back so many multiples of the amounts that we that we receive. Any slight cut has has a disproportionately powerful effect so uh, it, it's challenging times ahead but you know we really had a great night that night uh, it was lovely to see so much of the podcast gang being so actively involved with uh, obviously Philly with all this stuff for This Is Pop Baby and, and their show Trade which uh, won the best new writing award uh, above Fight Night and that's okay we're cool with that um, Marco Haller is an exceptional writer I've had the privilege of working on a couple of his scripts in the past and uh, I have an awful lot of time for my I wish him nothing but the best um, obviously also Paul Reed was up for Best Actor, uh, Rory Nolan was up for Best Supporting Actor, and the brilliant John Olihan from last week's episode, the first nomination he's ever had in a 40-plus year career, he went and won the bloody thing, and it was an amazing speech from him, an amazing response from the room, and uh, it was just a wonderful moment for him, uh, just to see that smile on his face, and I have to say, the, the only thing bigger than the smile on John Olin's face was the smile on everybody else in the room's face, because they were so happy for him to have taken it. It was a, just a lovely marking of uh, of what has been a, a great career for him, and what will continue to be a great career for many years to come. Um, lovely just mingling around that room and chatting with people, and the, kind of the, the warmth of the response to the podcast was kind of remarkable. I mean, I guess I kind of get locked up in a bit of a a bubble here with it as you're just going on day to day, churning this thing out. As I say, we're now, whatever, 17 weeks into this project, which is kind of baffling to me. But people are really warm into this thing. People are really into it. And it's it's nice to hear it from so many different voices, um, particularly those voices who are maybe around the world, whether specifically on tour at the moment or just scattered around the world in the nature of the, the way Ireland is at the moment. And, it, and it's a nice connection for them back home and it's a nice connection back into the business and uh, and lovely to hear that from so many different people from so many different disciplines within the business it's uh lovely to hear it and uh, and obviously the that crazy moment when theatre forum ran their unofficial poll of uh, of the irish theatre awards um that some very kind soul 
uh, chose to mention in the people who may have been left out who should have got a nomination for the Judges Special Award that the podcast could have been included there, which was absolutely wonderful. I'm convinced it was either my mother or my granny onto the website there, but either way, uh, it, look, you know, it's lovely to know that people are listening in, people are enjoying it, and that we're providing, I hope, a decent service to people out there and, and kind of continuing on with this ethos of supporting, promoting, and celebrating all that is great about Irish theatre. Um, and also, I have to say, on the night, I managed to corner quite a few people who might be potential guests for the future. Now, whether they only said yes because they had an extra point of Guinness or two in them that evening or not, I don't know, but we'll be chasing them down. And uh, I hope to have some pretty spectacular people lined up uh, in the coming weeks and months. So, as ever, we are giving you this podcast free of charge. We've promised that we'll never, ever charge for these interviews. But as ever, we are asking you to put your money back into Irish theatre, particularly in these straightened times when companies are suffering from these cuts. Uh, we need more than ever to get out there and put our money where our mouths are and uh, and invest our own money back into Irish theatre. Simplest way to do that, go and buy yourself some tickets. Um, you know, and if maybe this isn't a week where you feel you have the money in your ass pocket to go and buy yourself some tickets, head on over to one of the crowdsourcing websites. Maybe like fundit.ie there's a there's a lot of great stuff over there at the moment theater wise one project that particularly stood out to me is the one that ramblin man are using for their production of true west which is coming up a new company fresh out of the gated school of acting um and and a gang of hungry lads but brilliantly kind of getting back to old school no strings attached straightforward storytelling script based drama which maybe isn't the most fashionable thing around town at the moment but you know what it's exactly my cup of tea it's it's pretty much what we're up to here with rise productions to a great or a lesser extent and, and I wish those guys all the best so uh, well worth going over there to fundit.ie and checking out that campaign from Ramblin' Man uh, if you have the time obviously there's a million ways you can support without putting your hand in your pocket tell people about the podcast straightforward simple as that do that in person or please do share the link on Facebook as we put it out it just it's a simple click of a button for you the little blue share underneath click on that it'll go out to your friends um, and of course you can retweet the link on Twitter um, please go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast that helps us in our chart position uh, of course if you're out and about and you can't download from itunes go on over to the fight night website fightnight.ie which is optimized for iphone and, and other mobile devices so you should be able to stream it from there if not download it we're also carried on radiomade.ie as well go back on over and listen to all the other episodes we've put out over the weeks leave us a review if you can on itunes which does wonders for our chart position uh, or simply rate us on their five star rating system over there again like the share on facebook that is just one click of a button and you know if you have been enjoying these podcasts over the last 17 weeks you know, I think you have a fair idea of the amount of work we've been putting into it here at Rise Productions. Uh, I don't think it's asking a huge amount in return to a little click of a button here or there. It'd really help us out. Of course, you can follow us on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland. Or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Rise Ireland. So that brings us to this week's guest, and it's an interesting one this week, ladies and gentlemen. It's one I've had in my head pretty much from day one that I wanted to try and get this done at some point during the course of these podcasts, and brilliantly this week we've been able to do it. He said he'll come along and do it. And it's Irish Times theatre critic Peter Crawley, a guy who I have to say I have an awful lot of time for. Uh, as you'll hear me say later on in the interview, I think first and foremost the guy is a real fan of theatre, and, and I think he always wants shows to succeed. I think he's, I think he's really smart really intelligent and and above all else is hugely knowledgeable uh, about about theater and and really approaches things to my mind with the right 
approach to theater criticism. I have to say, I have, I'm not one of these guys who doesn't read reviews or, or avoids them or who kind of takes the good ones and go, yeah, I must be brilliant or takes the bad ones and beats themselves up. Uh, you know, I like engaging with them. I think it's an important part of the dialogue that we're engaged in. It's about, you know, we put out the work, they come along and respond to it. And I think anything that increases, you know, the, the awareness of, of what we're doing in the world of theater in the public domain or, or creates a stimulation of, of a conversation or a debate about Irish theatre and about what's going on at the moment can only ever be a good thing. I don't think you ever have anything to be afraid of. Uh, I think it's I think it's a wonderful thing and, and Peter really is one of the good guys. Uh, he's he's a guy who's on top of his game and, and I think it's a really interesting interview. It gives us a, a kind of a unique insight into that, that delicate balance of being, you know, so deeply involved in the theatre industry and the theatre community and yet having to maintain some kind of a distance to be able to be objective and, and professional about what you do and I think Peter does a great job of that. Uh, he's a really smart guy and quite a funny guy too. Uh, look, let's get into this interview. I think it's going uh, to open a lot of people's eyes. Here is the brilliant Peter Crawley. Peter Crawley, here we are. This is the scary one for me because this is poacher turned gamekeeper territory. But I'm delighted to have a chat to you today. Thank you so much for coming in. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you. Let's do. You've, you've obviously run out of genuine theatrical people to, <laughs> to interview superstar. now. You're a legend. I'm delighted to have you in. No, I think I genuinely think it's an important part of the dialogue of this overarching podcast project is to have uh, you know a proper a proper chronicle of of what's going on in Irish theatre at the moment. And I think. Um, the voice of the theatre critic, and specifically your voice uh, as you particular theatre critic, is an important one to have in this discussion. Because uh, I happen to, as you know, rate uh, theatre criticism. I think it's an important part of the dialogue. Anyway, let's talk about how you went from uh, being a kid growing up to being, uh, you know, Mr. Theatre Critic. Where, where did it start? How you, I presume you weren't a five-year-old dreaming of one day being a theatre critic. That, that is actually my professional title, Mr. Theatre Critic. It says, <laughs> it says, it says that on my cards. Um, yeah, it wasn't a boyhood dream, no, but kind of like, I think kind of at the age of five, it's pretty much either you want to be Batman or an actor, and um, and eventually you have to sort of grow out of, you know, one of those notions. Unless um, you're Christian Bale. Unless you're Christian Bale, in which case, yeah, you, you knock off both of those points in your CV. Uh, so it was more kind of a discovery. I think kind of the cliche about theatre criticism and theatre critics um, is that uh, nobody ever really expects to become one. They kind of, you know, sort of fall into it by accident. Um, and for me, I think I probably had a slightly more linear journey to it than, than many people because it felt like the culmination of just a bunch of different interests. Uh, so and it, was, and it all kind of happened in, in college. So I'd, I had a very kind of... Um, theatrically orientated um, uh, young life, uh, which ended up in um, you know various pursuits, both both kind of in performing um, and um, uh, and sort of just other manners of stagecraft, and it ended up in Trinity doing acting and English as sort of um, uh, two degrees or what do you call those things a two subject moderatorship. Sure. Um, and in college, it was sort of those two paths. It was studying English um, and kind of all the literature and analysis that goes with that, and then studying theatre from kind of quite an academic and kind of practical position. And there was just a synthesis in being able to write about theatre, yes. which came with um, one specific course in theatre criticism, which is a new course then. It was taught by two professional theatre critics, Jocelyn Clark and Karen Fricker. And it was a really great and very vigorous training in engaging with professional theatre, which is something bizarrely you don't do very much as a student because it's sort of expensive and you're living in your own little kind of college bubble. 
And this forced you to go out and pay money for tickets and to see what the whole theatrical ecology was that notionally you were taking a degree in because you wanted to contribute to it in some way. Uh, and so for, I don't know, a term, we would go see shows, we should write about those shows, we would talk about our writing, we would have uh, lectures by guest uh, theatre makers, uh, we would have uh, constant stimulation, encouragement and berating from uh, Karen Fricker and Justin Clark. <laughs> and, and I think at the end of it, like maybe sort of two of us hadn't been sort of repulsed from the notion for life. Um, and, uh, and I said, yeah, this is what I want to do. And so the intention going into such a, a theatre-based college experience, at that stage, were you planning on being an actor, planning on being a director? Were you not sure, but you knew it was something in that line of work? I, I wasn't ever planning on being an actor. And um, because I think kind of, I think you, you probably find out quite soon, you know, after your, your trial and error with sort of the whole Batman and acting gigs, um, <laughs> that you have to be either really good at crime fighting to, to follow through on it or, or to be just a particularly efficient actor. I mean, you, 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 you know, I think at a particular point. And, um, and I kind of realized I was a, a very self-conscious actor. I was always able to kind of get a better read on how other people were doing their performances and have no idea as to how to approach my own. So I abandoned that idea very early on and kind of quite contentedly. Okay. Um, uh, directing was way more fun because the, the, there just seemed to be nothing more stimulating than being in a rehearsal room for me. Um, everything, everything just seems possible in a rehearsal room. It's kind of it's just anything can happen. You can try anything out um, without sort of fear of, of, I think, anything more hideous than not having a show ready for opening night. Um, and so that's where I got most of my buzz and I think kind of just being kind of in, in close proximity to this act of theatre, just seeing things come together, seeing how things might kind of form a shape, um, was one of my principal stimulations. Um, and then watching, you know, and analysing and arguing and provoking and fighting. Uh, all of that was just kind of, you know, that was like the electrical storm in my brain around theatre. And, um, and the natural end point that I think was just to engage with it and be paid to engage with it. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was kind of, yeah, that was number one on my hoot list. Okay, so those experiences of, of, of being in the room and you say and creating things and directing things, um, presumably that has helped with what you're doing now, that you have an understanding of that side of it. But is that still something that you have a yearning for at all, to be more about creating the work in the first place rather than engaging with the work after it has been created? I don't harbour any particular ambitions, no, to, um, to sort of like put down my, my laptop and, um, you know, get under a spotlight or anything. Uh, so no, I don't, I don't think kind of it's a frustrated ambition. I think kind of at some point you, um, sometimes at some point something clicks, you know, in, in particularly in your formative experience where you kind of get a kind of clear direction. And, and for me, that was criticism. Right, okay. um, that, that also, it's, it seems to be a very difficult thing to communicate to people who, um, who chose different paths, you know, like, like kind of a direct interaction. I've, you know, I have a lot of colleagues, obviously, kind of, you know, direct peers who are directors and actors and writers and everything else. Um, and a lot of them kind of can't get their head around, like, you know, why would you be a critic? Because to, to some degree, you know, the critic is like the, you know, your biggest nightmare. It's like this... this um, crazy unpredictable rod of all of your insecurities you know it's 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 somebody who kind of is either going to tell you that you rocked or that you sucked and um and you don't really want to hear the latter um 
And I think for a critic, it's sort of like, how could you not want to do this? Particularly when sort of your love is for that kind of constant engagement to, to see things happen um, and to be in a very privileged position to be able to respond um, and then to be able to roll up your sleeves and sort of work out why something uh, succeeds or doesn't succeed, the manner in which it communicates with an audience and what it's saying to an audience today about where we are. Yeah, I think that's one of the fundamental things about you that I personally like and I think is a feeling abroad among the wider community is that it seems to me that while there are certain theatre critics who are kind of personalities in their own right who sometimes seem to enjoy sticking the boot in uh, more so than others it seems to me that you are first and foremost a fan of theatre and that you almost want to see every show succeed and there's almost that almost an air of disappointment when it doesn't. That's really interesting. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if that's, that's in any way specifically true of me and, and not others. And most, most of the critics that I kind of would know closely would probably go in with that same kind of feeling. Um, there's also, you know, constructive criticism is all well and good. It's not to say that destructive criticism is not valuable. And, and it's also not to say that destructive criticism doesn't come from a similar position. That kind of, you can be a fan of theatre even when you're sort of lacerating theatre. I mean, that's, I mean, Kenneth Tynan's famous his words about, um, or kind of his instruction to himself, was um, uh, rouse tempers, goad and lacerate, raise whirlwinds. Um, and his kind of understanding of what his job was, was to be provocative. Um, and it wasn't really that, I mean, obviously the guy had an enormous ego, but it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't at the expense of a passion for theatre. Okay. It, was, it was that kind of, to exalt theatre, he didn't have to be, I guess, a cheerleader. Um, so, so I think kind of, I think kind of, even even criticism that you think that you don't necessarily agree with, if it's enough to provoke a response, or if it's even enough to test the metal of, say, a kind of like a creator or a performer, and maybe kind of rally somebody into why it is that you do what you do, that that can be valuable. But but yeah, so I, I would not say necessarily that I'm a destructive critic or have any particular no. desire to be. Um, but I, but that was a very early and I think important point that we probably arrived at back when we were studying um, uh, theatre criticism in our laboratory of critical analysis. Um, Jimmy Murphy came in and addressed our class, and um, he had a show on at the time in the Gaiety, and it was, um, it was, you know, it was not enormously well received, um, but he spoke about kind of getting bad reviews on shows, and he said... He spoke about how easy he thought it was for critics to be nasty and for critics to be quite kind of, you know, acerbic, acid in their in their takes on things. Um, and he says, you know, you could read these reviews and you could even find them funny, but they were they were sort of like a coward's way out. They were, you know, they were they were a bit of an ad for the critics' own kind of cleverness or yeah. kind of um, or supposed fearlessness. Um, and he said, really, the critic is the person who wants it to work, or a critic is a person who should want it to work. And that was very, it was very telling. And it was, it was I think, maybe very instructive. Um, I, I certainly feel that if you ever went into a show not wanting it to succeed, so that's kind of a time to hang up your your pen. Yeah. Um, it's, it's also, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's no way that you can respect yourself for what you do, and certainly not the art form, if kind of every time the lights go down, your heart sinks. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think every time your light, the lights go down, you're really expecting something, you know, I mean, something special, you know, even, you know, life-changing. And that's, that's, we're all kind of chasing the dragon, you know, we're, we're, we, we all have that kind of, that life-changing experience, or, or a series of experiences, and you kind of want that again. 
and um, and uh, even though you kind of you come across sometimes as being implacable, uh, it's it's still because you, you know it, you are so because you love. Yeah. So tell me a bit about that time where it was becoming clear in your head that that this is the route you wanted to go down. Are there are there shows or performances or or moments on stage even that stand out from that time, or, or possibly even earlier? that kind of shifted you down that road? Is there anything that, that jumps out at you? I, I certainly remember being um, at a kind of a crossroads and those kind of like, you know, at the end of your degree, you know, because at the end of your college degree, you start panicking because almost all of a sudden you have to think about kind of being employable. Um, and, I had, and, I, and I had two possible paths, one of which was directing, which I, which I really enjoyed. And, um, and I think kind of I was probably teasing out the idea of how you would go into, uh, you know, assistant directing or kind of taking kind of courses in it and and then sort of what the uh, the chances of gainful employment would be. It was also a time when everybody seemed to believe that the only way to do it was to found your own company. And then everybody wanted to be an assistant director, but nobody wanted, or sorry, everybody wanted to be an artistic director, but nobody wanted to be a producer. Do you know, yeah. there was there was a sense that kind of you had you had a lot of really creative and ambitious people, but you didn't have a consolidation of the the very necessary organizations yeah. that would make new theater companies. So we were probably at about that tail end of um, a rather fallow period for companies beginning. You know, this is like, what, late 90s um, into the the early uh, 40s. And, um, uh, and maybe kind of Randolph SD, Wayne Jordan's company, um, was like one of the few that really kind of consolidated at around that time. That was just maybe a couple of years afterwards. Yeah. Um, but I felt there was a clearer path for me in writing, and it's actually it's actually maybe writing specifically that was kind of my passion. That kind of it's actually it's actually kind of like the nitty gritty of trying to formulate your thoughts and articulate your position, um, and kind of you know fighting with your backspace key. That is what maybe separates that desire to yeah. to want to communicate in a very different way and maybe to communicate to I guess like a different implied person you know a reader is is a slightly different person to an audience member yes. and, and and what you were trying to kind of like maybe kind of instill or arouse or provoke in them is I guess an appreciation that's that's more kind of from your seat than it is um, from the stage um, so yeah so it's I can't give you kind of a, a crystallized moment where I knew exactly what it was that I wanted to do, but it came probably kind of around, you know, my third or yeah. fourth year in college. And then it was very, it was a very kind of strict, you know, um, path. I went and did a master's in journalism just to sort of demystify the whole career aspect of what journalism was. And, um, and in that time, I think I started writing for the Irish Times and Irish Theatre Magazine. That would have been about 2000. Wow. So as you're writing your reviews now, how important to you is for the review in and of itself to be not necessarily a beautiful piece of writing but how much of your concern is focused towards an honest and accurate assessment of the work that you're assessing and how much of it is about creating your own unique piece to put out into the world so so yes yeah, so the question is about it's about style and substance isn't yeah it? i guess it's a, so it's it's sort of it's in tandem i mean i mean I guess kind of the first duty you have is to be faithful to the work, but also faithful to yourself. So it's actually the kind of the hardest thing sometimes is just getting your opinion across in as lucid a way as possible and in as justified a way as possible. So kind of if you accept that the most important thing in, in a critique or a review is not really your opinion, but how you arrive at your opinion, 
it's maybe getting the argument across is like I guess the the crucial thing. But then, of course, you know, you're vain and narcissistic and kind of an individual entity. And so you want to be different to other people. So you write in a particular way. And, but your writing is sort of like your signature. You know, it's, it's something that you, you both practice, but it's inherent. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's an individual thing. And then you've got a you know, big cluster of other factors. So, you know, who you're writing for, what the style of that, say, newspaper or magazine or blog or Twitter feed is, and yeah. um, what the limitations on your writing are, whether that be, you know, 140 characters uh, increasingly, um, or the space that's provided by the arts page in a national newspaper or the longer form writing on, on say, Irish Theatre Magazine's website. Um, and those things kind of shape what's possible. You know, you have to be very succinct in, in some cases, and you can kind of loosen your belt a little bit and sort of, you know, others and just kind of let it all spread out. I wish I could have thought of a more aesthetically pleasing <laughs> um, uh, analogy there. Um, and I think, so you wouldn't do anything, I think, you wouldn't compromise, I guess, kind of the truth of your response uh, for the sake of style. Right. Um, you, and you certainly wouldn't want to be led into um, kind of an opinion that wasn't sort of like a truthfully held one simply because it gave you a better ring yeah. to kind of like, you know, to, to a, polished, a polished off sentence. And do you feel at this stage, I mean, apart from the hours clocked up on the job, but the proper in-depth training back in the college days, plus fact that filtered through a proper journalistic training as well, I mean, your knowledge of the subject matter, does that give you a level of confidence in your ability to argue points fairly at this stage? No, not at all. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I tell you, the only thing, I, I'm... I, I approach pretty much everything I do with the constant... Um, the constant nag of self-doubt, which is, which is really... Which, which actually, I mean, I feel is probably... Um, the most helpful thing I have in sort of my own kind of toolkit, yeah. um, which is why do I think what I think, yeah. and and how and how do I justify it to to myself or anybody else? But that's arguably the most important question for you as you're approaching that review, anyway. So presumably that's a to, useful to, thing to, to have. Yeah, I think so. Um, but like you know, I would, I would love to get started sooner. Do you know? Like I would love to get my opening sentence out of the way a lot quicker, and I think my my editors would appreciate it as well. <laughs> Um, you know, there's, there's, there's sort of only so many espressos that somebody can drink before, um, uh, before that final uh, uh, front line begins. Um, front line, of the, you see my articulacy, this is, <laughs> this is why they invented backspace keys. But I, I guess in answer to your question, the preparation of college gives you a discipline, do you know? Or at least gives you a methodology and a theory behind what it is that you do. And I think that's really important. So it's, so you're, and also kind of like, a, it got a lot of my sort of, you know, worst tendencies out of the way as well. Kind of Karen Fricker would always say, stop showing off. Okay. College instills a discipline. Um, having kind of a professionalism is something that you can prepare for. And experience maybe just uh, makes things uh, a little bit more easy. Sure. Um, experience is kind of the training ground. And you kind of only really learn how to do it by doing it. Yeah. Um, I think kind of I think I've never really and I would never really want to have a formula, do you know, like a pat formula. Like I mean, when when I was starting out, there was a general cliche about um, theatre reviewing, which was 
you know, you start with kind of a show X opened last night um, and it was a moderately entertaining piece of palaver. Um, and then you would have kind of like three paragraph description of the plot. And then you would have like a, a, a paragraph about the actors and didn't they do well. And yeah. then you would have sort of a final paragraph that said, you know, a, a nice piece of light, entertaining fun for everybody. Yeah. And that was it. You're out. And you do that in 15 minutes, you know, if that. Um, and it was this sort of generic template. And it felt like this is in no way commensurate with the amount of effort and skill and worry and um, miracle that goes into the creative endeavor of theater. Um, I think this, you know, the sort of the, the new school, if I can call it that, of maybe the theater criticism that I was kind of, you know, coming up through was about, no, work harder, you know, be be sharper, be fresher, work at it, doubt yourself, um, knock on the structure of your review and sound it for hollows, and only when you, you're pretty sure that the thing is robust do you let it go into the world. Um, and which is all very well and good to sort of do when you're in college, and yeah. like maybe the deadlines are not quite so strict. Um, I think kind of like between going to your opening night and sort of filing your review for whatever the deadline is, um, you have to do all of these things within strict limitations of time and space sure. so that so that you do the very best you can in the time and space provided. Uh, and with any luck, you have a certain discipline so that you engage with the show in the right way, yeah. you know, which is just kind of practical common sense stuff. You go in, you know, you leave everything behind at the door. You know, if you've had a bad day, you leave it behind, yeah. you know. Um, you, you don't go in having been on the tear for three days, you know. You you don't drink, you know. You know, yeah. you're, you're, you're on duty, you know. It's it's a profession, so be professional about it. Um, and uh, I think that's kind of the, uh, the skill set and the experience that you try to bring to bear. At the risk of providing a terrible blueprint for every young and emerging company out there at the moment. What do you look for when you go and see a show? What, what, what ticks the boxes for you? What are you, what are you hoping to see? I'm, I'm generally hoping to see um, people who are going to go in the distance. Um, every show sort of teaches you what that show is, you know? If you, go in, if you go in with sort of a rigid set of expectations about a show, then you know, no show is ever going to fulfill them. So I think kind of, I think kind of, you know, your skills as a reviewer are not particularly different to the general process that's undertaken by an audience member, which is you go in um, with sort of, you know, a modest amount of expectations as to what this show kind of presents itself as being. You learn as you're watching it what this show aspires to be, whether that be kind of a frothy costume comedy um, or a piece of microphone downstage left post-traumatic theatre. Um, Your favourite. Which is, is increasingly now. I'm, I'm finding a place in my affection for, uh, for as many different forms of performance as possible. Um, but kind of whether it's, whether it's you know, that or whether it's kind of a wilding costume drama or whether it's um, Harold Pinter's The Caretaker or, you know, Plan the Stars... Um, the, sh the show has its own agenda and it's really kind of your job to figure out what that is and then whether or not it succeeds in fulfilling its own agenda and then I guess whether or not it was worth doing in the first place um, and so those are sort of what you bring to bear on, on any kind of critique um, it's not kind of trying to shoehorn anything into sort of you know your favourites or your yeah. or your list I mean what I, what I love to be is surprised I, mean, I, I love having to think differently um, I, I like learning things. I like I like new languages, and that's not necessarily 
I suppose, kind of watching Theatre Club do um, Heroin or um, The Family yeah. and think genuinely that there's stuff that you just don't frequently see on the stage and they're using the mechanics of the stage to communicate in a different way and what is the grammar of that and how do you make sense of that? I mean, that's really stimulating. Um, and, um, and I think because audiences, whether they're um, you know casual or constant... Enjoy that. You know, you, you go to make sense of what you see. Um, and something that kind of challenges you to make sense of it is really rewarding, providing that you can bring sense to it. You know? Do you ever find yourself second-guessing yourself in that, you know, in the current trend for kind of deconstructing things down and whatever else, whereas possibly an older generation who would be more used to well-made plays might be resistant to it? And the argument goes up about Emperor's New Clothes. Do you ever find that within it, um, if there's a play that has long, dull, boring sections, that at what point is that a play that has long, dull, boring sections? Or at what point is it a damning critique on contemporary Irish alienated society? I mean, do you ever find yourself locked in those things where you're trying to justify anything which may just be not particularly skillful theatre? Not really. It's, it's not kind of like you get sort of so overwhelmed with your own analysis that kind of like you know you go in and sort of like you know there's there's nobody on stage except kind of like you know a, a fire extinguisher and kind of like a single functional working light and you say ah yes <laughs> this is where we are now. It, it's yeah. it's all about the ascetism of the <laughs> contemporary soul and austerity measures yeah. you know in in the human heart uh, and then somebody comes in and says sorry the the actors haven't showed up you know yeah. oh man that, that actually happened we were watching you on stage ah, in, yes. in um in big love in selena cartmel's production and the peacock and the fire alarm went off and um a voice said um you know kindly make your way um out, out into the void and i was like what does this mean is this is this is, is, is she talking about sort of like the emergency that is kind of human human negotiations oh no no no, no you are actually going to die in your seats which is, which, is, which is actually when you think about it, commonly similar to something that happens in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, where, um, where Rosencrantz comes out and says, yeah, fire, and nobody moves. Um, I, th- I think, though, I think though, no, I, I don't think, and I, I totally appreciate what you mean, that kind of that if you are sort of weaned on a diet of, um, as you put it, the well-made play, and then you see something that's kind of quite alienating um, or, or kind of maybe... Um, uh, that has a new grammar, and you're kind of like, well, I'm bored. Yeah. That's, that's a legitimate. That's a legitimate response to something. Um, and certainly, kind of, you can you can work too hard at trying to interpret kind of a new grammar um, and sort of like parcel it into a meaning which may may or it may or may not warrant. Yeah. But I don't. I think so long as kind of like you're honest with yourself, you're going to find out where sort of the torpid stretches are in anything, yeah. and where like the truly path-breaking uh, maneuvers are. Um, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sort of like you know talk myself into um, uh, edifying something that I found genuinely tedious, you know. Sure. And also, I, I would hope that you have the bravery to say that something is tedious. And generally, so long as you don't kind of feel that you are exposed or you know exposing your own stupidity or your inability to read something, yeah. um, you can say that. Some of the bravest and some of the most, um, I think, honest reviews that I've read. Will will the reviewer will say? Listen, it's you know twelve hours later, and I still don't know what I think about this. Yeah. Um, and kind of you know, there's there's obviously antecedents here. You know, you look at kind of Samuel Beckett, say, and kind of like you know the theatre of the absurd, and 
any kind of experimental um, yearnings on behalf of theatre makers from the 20th century and before, you know, and there's always been kind of a shock of the new. And some of, sometimes people, people discard things and say this is, this is, as you say, emperor's new clothes and are proven kind of ultimately wrong in the long run. And sometimes people um, embrace it and endorse it and are proven wrong in the long run. Um, you know, eventually the pieces settle and... Um, and, you know, the, the, the first response may be a correct response. Like, so long as you justify it, it always is. Yeah. Um, but it's not the last response. So talk to me then a little bit about, about your place within the community and, and the difficulties of negotiating that dance between being, uh, being steeped in it as you are and also being able to maintain that objectivity and the, and the capacity to be able to say to people who may be friends of yours ultimately this wasn't successful this didn't work this was a bad show in inverted commas it's yeah it's it's interesting um because kind of what your position is in the community like i i i would find it difficult to identify my community like my my community is i don't know is i think my community is probably journalists okay. more more specifically than than theater makers i kind of i don't i have a position that's sort of near the community which is not in the community and that's probably important um, because you can get too close and the risks the risks of being too close are not kind of you know sort of like uh, upsetting your friends you right. know um, the risk of getting too close is are not being able to see objectively what's going on getting getting too close to somebody's methodology um, or getting too close to what their aspirations are so that you kind of lose sight of what your position as an audience member is mm. you know the first contact from your seat, as opposed to kind of like a privileged preview of what an intention behind a show is. Um, so, so I think I think distance is necessary. Um, I'm, I'm a strong believer that kind of critics and artists uh, don't have to be enemies, um, but also that critics and artists can't really be very f- close friends. I mean, have said that I have close friends who make work. Yeah. Um, if, if I'm too close a friends to somebody, I won't review their work. Really? Because, well, simply because I'm inclined to sort of see them in it, you know, yeah. or see the best in it, you know, or maybe kind of just be too close to be taken seriously. If you know that I'm friends with somebody yeah. and I go and review somebody, even if I write a bad review or kind of, you know, a, an unflattering review or kind of a hugely complimentary review, you will think that I'm swayed by my personal association with that person. And therefore, how valid can I be to you, you know? So kind of, yeah. so I think, so in a way, kind of, there's a selfish thing about just safeguarding your own professionalism. I've, I've, you know, critical friends who are, who would consider themselves too close to other theatre makers, and they, they just, you know, they make a call. They say, I will not review this company's work because, you know, what can I tell them that they'll believe, and um, and and is it useful to my reader, particularly if they feel that I'm in some way compromised because I share a drink with them. Yeah, talk to me a bit then about with great power comes great responsibility. How aware are you of the weight that is given to a positive Irish Times or Irish Theatre Magazine review in terms of, say, for example, the younger and more emerging companies? I mean, at this stage, Rough Magic or Druid can kind of, you know, it's water off ducks back there. They are where they are. But for a young company starting out, if, not that you would take them under their wing, but if there's a positive response from you that that can do... uh, that can do wonders for them career path wise and can have a, ultimately have a, a pretty serious influence on 
tens of thousands of pounds in funding, say, further down the road. How, uh, is that a thought that enters your head much, or do you just try and keep it out of the way? I think that you... I don't think that you can kind of approach your job um, crippled with the idea of consequence for, for everything that you write, which is not to say that you don't understand the responsibility of what it is that you're doing. Um, like, I mean, the financial consideration sort of doesn't enter into it. Kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm forever told that it doesn't matter anyway. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm forever told that it does not matter a jot to box office what a review says, kind of either good or bad. Um, and and in a way, kind of, it's a very comforting notion to the critic that that you can say what you will, and it's not going to have any kind of particular material. They'll uh, still be able to feed their kids at the end exactly, of the week. Exactly. Okay. Um, uh, but uh, but it's probably whether or not this is true, it's it's probably a useful fallacy to believe that it will have an impact. Um, simply because that might, you know, ensure that you're a bit more responsible about how you how you approach the job. Yeah. Um, I think kind of being fair is really kind of what you hope to do, what you aspire to do. Um, and whether kind of you're an established company or you're an emerging company, whether it's your first show or kind of like your 97th, um, people take criticism in different ways. And, and often kind of those ways are dictated by a personality, you know, more so that like even it overrides kind of like a professional engagement with something. Um, and you know, criticism stings and people take it personally. Um, and criticism, I don't think, is ever intended personally. You know, we would like to believe that you can respond. Um, you, you can only see kind of like, you know, this perfectly justified and sober analysis by that awful Peter Crawley from, <laughs> from the Irish Times. Um, and, and you kind of, you take from it what's useful and you discard what is not useful. Um, and you don't necessarily have to agree with a review for it to be useful, which is, which is why I say kind of that the argument is the more important thing. Than, than the opinion. Well, on that thing of, of taking it personally, the Christenberg incident, if we're going to call it that, um, got, it seemed to me that it got a little blown out of proportion. But for my money, and this is policy for us at Rise Productions, based on the Harold Clorman model of the group theatre in the 1930s, of, and obviously he went on to become a prominent critic himself, but there's that thing of, as, as theatre makers, we create the work and put it out there, uh, a theatre critic then comes and engages with that work and then uh, comes up with their response and puts that out there. And that Cloran felt that it was only fair then, for not even for a right to reply or mm -hmm. kind of to bitch about how dare you say that about my show, but that you would then, if you as a theatre critic are going to put your work out in the public domain, mm -hmm. um, then equally we have a right to come and engage with that and, and continue that dialogue because I do think the dialogue is important. I don't know necessarily that the way Krista Berg went about engaging with that was the most you know fruitful way of going about it mm -hmm. uh, did did that experience teach you anything did it change any opinions do you regret any of it is it hilarious to you now it's it's sort of all of those things i think <laughs> i think i think that the, the christopher thing is sort of so extreme that it's hard to take too much that's instructive from it because it's because it was like this i mean it was it was this magnification of something that happened actually quite frequently so kind of so the, so the the christopher thing and sort of for anybody who's unaware of this um i wrote a review about a concert of his that he um took issue with and um and he wrote um uh, his own right to reply um which he which he sent um, to, I think, every publication in Christendom, um, short of Anglers Weekly, um, and CC'd me in one of them as well. Um, nice. And um, and it went viral, and it was just and it was and it just was everywhere. Um, 
and it was it was bizarre and and I think kind of a, the thing I learned from it is that you very quickly lose any control of sort of what your what the intention of your writing is and what its interpretation is and kind of and I kind of saw this original review come to mean so many different things the way that kind of the way that Christopher saw it you know as kind of like as a nasty personally motivated attack um the way that um people who are not fans of Christopher saw it as sort of you know um a a praise of the man that seems to be warranted um to you know i mean every stream of opinion and it was it was fascinating and it was real but it was also absolutely horrifying i mean it was it was weird absolutely weird i got a letter that um uh, that uh, said that every Scottish reviewer had my back. Uh, uh, I got. I entered into. Um, I ent- entered into a correspondence with the comedian Bill Bailey, who uh, got between ten and fifteen minutes of material out of us. Wow. Um, uh, and uh, I had. I had very unhappy mail from Christopher fans. I had yes. very happy mail from Christopher non-fans. And um, and it was just kind of overwhelming, but but like I very quickly sort of you know it was much bigger than me, <laughs> it was, and it was much bigger than the sort of three hundred word review. Right. Well, here's a different but, question. But but, I, but but actually, but but kind of but I, I do say that's an extreme example of something that happens kind of quite a lot because because there is I, I do have you know uh, conversations and correspondence with people who I review, um, and sometimes it's. It's all is written in heat, you know, and sometimes it's very unhappy, and sometimes, and this is this is no more, I think, um, uh, concerning or um, delicate. Um, sometimes it's written in great gratitude, um, and neither of those responses, whether kind of it's bitter unhappiness and sort of you've always had it in for me, and yeah. kind of like you know, and you were you, you were the wrong person to review it, and you didn't want it to work. Um, it's not that different to you know you've really you know touched me and kind of validated sort of what I do and so I had I had, a, I had a letter from a performer who doesn't read reviews and was encouraged to read a review of a show that I, I had reviewed and um, and he said kind of I don't read reviews because I'm kind of terrified by them and you know I know people who have sort of stopped working because of a bad review and so on but friends told me to read your review and I feel like you got it and you know I'm humbled and kind of so on I kind of thought, well, you know, that's lovely for me to hear, but also I really wish it didn't matter to you that much. Because as an artist, you are necessarily putting yourself out there, and you have to be a vulnerable person to some extent to expose yourself artistically and to take the risk of putting yourself out there. Um, But you do so for feedback, whether it's on the simple level of a laugh or applause, or kind of, I guess, the more sort of articulated view of um, a review or something. And um, and really, you've got to be able to, I think, take it, you know, or choose to simply ignore it. But in that case, you're not entering into what art is, you know, and what performance art is, which is a conversation, which is proposing something to which people will dispose, um, which is a back and forth. Um, criticism just seems to be kind of, you know... Um, often kind of a more vigorous um, manifestation of that response, you know? It's, it's, it's not sort of, you are wonderful, darling. Um, and it's not kind of as vigorous or kind of as informed as the conversations that artists have amongst themselves, which can often be the least varnished and sort of like the most kind of 
um, thoroughly productively kind of you know nitty gritty abrasive conversations you have. Um, criticism is weird because it makes public somebody's response to your work. You know, and kind of like you may feel that you're kind of either being kind of exalted to the heavens or trash talked yeah. um, in front of people you know. Um, and I think, and people also point things out to you. You know, I saw that review of yours in the paper. You know, yes. Uh, I've a, a question that kind of jumps on from the Christopher thing, but jumps into a, a specific thing about festival time, um, and it's it's a pet hate of my dad's. Yeah which is where at festival time when there's a million different shows to go and review that you get people who aren't as steeped in the business or as knowledgeable as someone like you is. And in the way that, is there a possible argument that as theatre reviewer, maybe it should have been a, musical journal, a music journalist at the Christa Berg gig, but then equally, how do you feel about drafting in troops around festival time, particularly for the Fringe, uh, to review stuff who may not be as well versed in theatre. Is that something you have an issue with? Is it a problem? Yeah, I am a music journalist. Uh, well, well, at least at least that's how I, I started working for okay. the Irish Times. So I was, I was a music journalist from 2000. Um, that's, and, and that's actually how I got my start in the Irish right, Times. Okay. Yeah. So, 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 I was, um, so I was actually quite a seasoned hand in, in music. <laughs> and, and the irony of it was um, <laughs> that I was one of the few people in the Irish Times who actually felt they could go into a Christopher concert with an open mind. Um, <laughs> But uh, that's only a minor clarification. That's okay. um, it, I know what you mean about festival time and um, and the volume of work that exists and, um, and the amount of writers that there are that uh, you know to engage with it. And it's it's more that you know some of us are have a lot of experience reviewing theatre and there are some that have less experience reviewing theatre. But you know I'm when I was when I first started writing reviews for Irish Theatre Magazine and for the Irish Times. I had only so much experience at, at either, and you accumulate ex- experience by doing this. So kind of, I mean, I, I know kind of, you know, companies may feel that they're kind of getting a little over, or get they're not getting the right exposure, and, and kind of, and also kind of, when you're not happy with the review, you can always knock the, the critic for being kind of a dilettante or right. kind of, you know, a rookie. Um, but we start somewhere as well, you know? And you can, I've, I've seen some extremely incisive, insightful, talented reviews coming from people who, like me, are, you know, emerging from university courses, um, find that criticism um, sets their pleasure indexing, indexes rising, and, um, and, and they're in it for the right reasons. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a learning experience for all of us, and we're still learning as well, you know? I think when you stop learning, you're, you're, you're dead. Will you tell me a bit about the new book, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked me that. Yeah, um, the the new book. So 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 the new book is is what a few months old now. Um, uh, Willie White uh, had a brainchild, which was um, uh, a publication that I guess responded to forms of theatre that didn't have plays at their centre. So um, devised work, um, documentary theatre. Um, you know that kind of nebulous train of live art and the post dramatic, and and all these things that kind of we f- probably find it quite difficult to talk about. It's really quite quite a, a good, simple, lucid idea, which was how do we find a way to talk about work um, that we're not that accustomed to contextualizing? What what is the language of that work? And um, and he wanted to do something that was smart and accessible but not restricted to sort of an academic audience 
um, something that was for theatre audiences, that was for makers, okay. something that was you know well researched, written kind of from the um, the front line of of engagement by journalists and critics and theatre makers. Um, and that would cover an international spread of what contemporary performance was and what the shape of contempor- contemporary performance might be. Um, and so I came on as co-editor for this book, No More Drama, uh, which takes its title from uh, a Mary J. Blige record. I think, I think Willie had the title. It was Willie's title. I think Willie had the title before he had the idea for the book. Um, we're, we're working on a follow-up which I, I want to call The Miseducation of Lauren Hill uh, but, I like it but I'm not quite sure if we can find the, the, the necessary examples from Irish theatre and international theatre to fulfil it um, so it's, so it's, um, it's if, if I do say so myself it's a very beautiful book I can say that because I didn't have any part in the design right, okay. um, and it's um, and it's a very accessible um, series of essays about um, the kind of work that you generally see on international stages and around festival time, and um, and it's it has a piece on Pan Pan by Noelia Ruiz, um, it has a glorious essay on Rimini Protocol from uh, Christian Cool. Uh, it has uh, an article on the status of the curator and sort of you know how it is that works get programmed by Florian Malzacher. Um, it is a cavalcade of wonder. Uh, I would I would advise your listeners to buy it in triplicate. Um, we think we can get Jude Law for the movie adaptation. Excellent. He'll be playing Hans Thies Lerman, the uh, the father of post traumatic theatre. So finally, we're immediately off the back of the Irish Times Theatre Awards. Yes. Um, do what are your thoughts on awards in general for theatre? Is it a wonderful thing to celebrate the great and the good? Is it an impossible task to get any kind of a, a real feel of what's out there when it's only down to the opinions of three people? Mm-hmm. Is it at the very least a wonderful night for the community of Irish theatre to get together and have a celebration of all the work that's gone on through the year? Is it all of the above? It's it's to some extent it's it's all of the above. I, I certainly think that it's more important that you have just a moment where um, Irish theatre gets to reflect on itself um, and gather together in a room and you know I guess celebrate what theatre is because theatre is that sort of preciously ephemeral thing. You know, it's it's on and it's gone um, and. Um, and it leaves little residue, really, you know, to any meaningful degree. It's it kind of it exists. I guess is the gorgeous thing about it, um, and maybe sort of where criticism and, and journalism has its place is that really it's it exists in your memory and it continues and breathes and lives in what you exchange with other people about your memories and your interpretations, how you saw it, what your arguments are, and kind of maybe the review is in some way you know, a, a bit of a document of at least one person's view, and that will stimulate, I guess, kind of a conversation or maybe kind of help to preserve parts of your own memory of something. Um, I don't know that you can ever, I don't even think kind of the judges would sort of point at um, the awarded shows and say, you know, hand and heart, this was truly the best of Irish theatre. Because really what they're responding to is an individual experience of a show when they saw it. And that kind of 
unrepeatable series of accidents and miracles and attainments that happen in any given performance. Um, I don't think that consensus is ever particularly satisfying, which is why maybe the, the nominations, to my mind, are always more intriguing than than the final winners. Yeah. Because the diversity of those nominations, I think, is really telling. And, and this year, in those nominations, I mean, seeing sort of... Um, Shows that are, I, I thought, kind of so, you know, incomparable as, say, a new production's Laundry, which which is which was a fab, fabulous and fascinating piece of work, and just stretched, I guess, kind of like the limits of what theatre is, um, and The Crucible, which is, you know, really meaty negotiation with a classic play um, done in a new venue, kind of exploiting kind of the capacities of, of those resources, and All That Fall, which had no performers on stage, and which is technically a radio play, you know, which with magnificent design, which was working in ways that you don't often see design working. Um, I think kind of like this, just the kind of this accumulation of, of different shows, um, points to a breadth of artistic endeavor in Irish theater at the moment. And that's kind of, that's the health, I think, of Irish theater. That's kind of, that's the expanse of it. And that's why it sort of seems to be such an endlessly, restlessly stimulating thing. And and I guess for, for my money, why it's such a privilege to be able to try and make some sense of it all. Do you feel we're in good shape at the moment, theater-wise? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's just, I mean, the thing that... It's, we're always in crisis. Uh, oh, I said we're now. Uh, uh, careful. Oh, you would get there eventually. Oh, no, I'm, I'm being conscripted. This is, this is, this is a wish fulfillment. Um, you guys uh, are, are always in crisis. Um, for as long as I've been writing about theatre, I think I've been um, responding to a concern which is sort of like always taking the pulse of theatre as though it's, you know on a hospital bed and kind of like the, the, the worry is, is it going to make it through the night? Um, and somehow it always does. Um, but but theatre is crisis. You know, it's so alive and so vulnerable and so working from minute to minute. Um, and it seems to be, and, and, and I guess to some extent this is, this is a difficult and unfair thing about theatre. Theatre will always be made. Um, irrespective of the, the circumstances, um, irrespective of kind of loss of funding or uh, unsympathetic times or straightened economic circumstances, art is a compulsion and artists have um, um, a compulsion to make it, mm. you know. It's, um, it's what we mean by vocation. You know, it's 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 not about kind of you know I want to be an actor. It's about I have to be an actor. You yeah. know, it's about I don't really have a choice in the matter. Um, <laughs> and um, what you would love is for everybody to be well resourced um, and to be enabled to make the work that they want to make in the best way possible. Um, I think that what you have are very exacting artists who are pushing themselves as hard as they can be pushed um, and doing more than kind of like the best they can do with what's provided. I mean, they're actually sort of excelling, um, it seems to me, against, you know, very challenging times and very challenging odds. And they're always finding new ways to make work. And it's why I think sometimes the aesthetic of the work, you know, kind of like we can, we can I, I know I go off on one of the downstage left <laughs> microphone, but the aesthetic responds to the times, you know, and, and what's possible. Um, and I think kind of when you see things like kind of, what you might consider to be quite austere sets. Um, they're really, they're doing something quite ingenious with what's provided and they're finding new ways to make grammar 
to make kind of performance, to make or to communicate with an audience. And the audience, I think, is hungry enough to work out what it is that they're doing. Um, so, so it's so yeah. So it's I mean, it's this constant miracle of making it happen. Um, let's put on a show, and um, and yes, and and I guess kind of to be able to to document that and to rouse. <laughs> tempers and to go and lacerate um, and to I guess you know occasionally make people people feel like okay you know he got us um, is, a, is a nice position to be in it's a beautiful thing I really appreciate you coming in to chat to me this is uh, one I've been looking forward to for quite a while one I was a little scared of but one I was delighted to be able to do um, Peter Crowley thank you so much no, thank you so there you have it like I said a really interesting one you know this whole podcast project we have going on at the moment is about basically chronicling what's going on in Irish theatre at the moment and getting a real pulse of the nation or a pulse of the theatre community at the very least. And, uh, and, and, and as such, we're looking for, you know, distinct, disparate voices, whether that's actors or writers or designers or directors or producers or administrators or, you know, theatre critics too. I think, it's, I think they have a really valuable role to play in, in what we do. And I was delighted to get Peter on. I think he's a super guy and uh, really enjoyed spending time with him. So, look, that brings us to our usual roundup of what is going on around town and around the country at the moment at Project Arts Centre Purple, directed by Edwina Casey, is just coming up to a finish. Uh, and also Body Duet is on there at the moment upstairs. At the Viking Theatre at the Sheds out in Clontarf, Faith Healer by Brian Friel, the greatest playwright of all time, is currently there at the moment. I think that's finishing up this weekend. And then Satanta Murphy by Garrett Kyo is back by popular demand there, which is, uh, you know, Garrett's a super guy. Luke Griffin's involved in that show as well. That's going to be a great night out. Da continues at the gate with uh, everyone's favourite actor, Tyg Murphy. Uh, also, the brilliant Owen Rowe is in there as well. It's super cast down there. Uh, da is just such a wonderful play. Uh, Hugh Leonard really at... at at the top of his game and it's uh, it's certainly worth a visit there Bookworms continues at the Abbey if you're looking for a laugh uh, Love All is at Bewley's Cafe Theatre which has been hugely successful for them there uh, at the new theatre that world premiere of Treading Water is still going on there and uh, another new play at the moment is Flux and that's on at the Pierce Centre um, Rough Magic have Plaza Suite at the Gaiety although that is finishing up this weekend and uh, Sonia Kelly's Shona Bag the wheelchair on my face is still doing the rounds around the country my parents went to see it the other night absolutely raving about it so another great success for showing a bag there um, as we take it around the country down in Limerick The Goddess of Liberty by Karen Ardiff the Gunanua production has now travelled down to the bell table uh, so that's a chance to catch that show which have been playing up here for uh, a couple of weeks um, over to Galway Second Ages production of the Scottish play is coming to the Town Hall as soon as it finishes up in the Helix this week um, if we head up north to Belfast Uncle Vanya there, and again in that version by uh, the world's greatest writer Brian Friel, that's on up at the new Lyric Theatre, um, which I'm dying to get up and see. My plan was to go up and see that show this week, mostly because I want to see the show, but also because I really want to see that venue. Um, and due to the fact that I have a life that gets in the way and I have to make podcasts and make plays and all kinds of stuff, I didn't get a chance to get up, but I'll be getting up hopefully next week. Uh, that show has Conleth Hill and the ever-awesome Declan Conlon, who is just a superstar. So uh, I'm certainly making the trip up north. You know, it's an hour and a half 
jump on a train, jump in the car, get up there and do it. Um, heading south down to Cork, Doubt, starring Dermot Defuita, who's a, a spectacular actor who I've had the privilege of working with quite a few times, both on Ross Naroon and then on uh, Karpok Zanum, which was up for all those IFTA awards this year, which, for my mind, was one of the best pieces of, of, uh, of drama on Irish television for the last few years, um, whether in Irish language or the English language. I just thought it was absolutely spectacular. That play, Doubt, is obviously the one they made into the movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman and all that. That's down there at the Everyman in Cork at the moment. And speaking of Cork, Solstice is back open again for applications. That's the, the mini festival within the Cork Midsummer Festival. Uh, and it's looking really exciting for this year. They have the uh, the standard call-out for applications uh, is on at the moment. But also they have a new addition this year, which is the title, Residency, um, which looks really interesting to come down and, and a group of uh, a few different artists to come down to Cork, stay there for the full month uh, and create new pieces of uh, of work. I think it's going to be really interesting. All the information for that is on solsticecork.com. Uh, you can go over there and check it out. And also, uh, training and development uh, things going on at the moment. The brilliant Jason Byrne of Loose Cannon is doing a week of workshops for actors. That'll be the week of Patrick's Day. Uh, and all the info on that will be on the Theatre Forum website. Uh, Jason, everyone knows from Loose Cannon and from directing so much of, uh, of the classics at the Abbey. Uh, that'll be a really interesting week for actors to go and, uh, and do it. You should go and check that out uh, over on the, uh, the Theatre Forum website. So... That's us. That is episode 17, Jesus, in the books. We will be back next week, of course, for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. This has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>